It's been very well documented that over the past 10 to 15 years, there's been a dramatic increase in the number of adult women seeking female genital cosmetic surgery or genital revision surgery, a procedure typically known as labiaplasty. And there's probably a variety of reasons why that's the case. But it's very well known that it's during adolescence where one actually develops their concept or their perception of what is, quote, normal in terms of the appearance of the female genital. So in this podcast, we're going to review an article, a publication, that's actually part of the ABOG Maintenance of Certification for 2021 in the first quarter. This study tries to identify what the, quote, normal appearance of an adolescent genitalia actually is, and it will serve as a counseling tool for young women who try to approach your physician for labioplasty. I mean, is labioplasty valid? When is it indicated? And what does the college say about it? Well, we're going to get to all those questions and more in this session. Hi, this is Brittany, a fourth-year medical student at Texas A&M University and soon-to-be OBGYN. This is Clinical Pearls. Labioplasty is defined as a procedure that reduces and makes the labia minora symmetrical. This procedure is associated with actually a number of risks, including bleeding, wound dehiscence, pain, infection, scarring of the labial edges, introidal narrowing, and overhanging of the clitoral hood. The number of adult women who seek labial reduction surgery has shown a large increase, as we mentioned in the intro. But less is known about the prevalence of this procedure in adolescents. The British Society for Pediatric and Adolescent Gynecology published figures stating that between 2008 and 2012, 266 labial reduction procedures were performed on girls who were younger than the age of 14. Hypertrophy of the labia minora is described as protrusion of the labia minora that extend beyond the labia majora. And it's true that while labial hypertrophy can cause functional symptoms like irritation when walking, jogging, cycling, or wearing tight-fitting clothing, or it can also interfere with sexual activity by causing invagination of the protruding labia and often can interfere with routine engagement in sports, the problem is that there's no standard diagnostic criteria for the diagnosis of labial hypertrophy. Now, oftentimes, complaints of functional impairment because of hyperplastic labia, these complaints exist regardless of the numerical measurement of the patient's labia, challenging the standard definitions that were originally created by some researchers like Frederick and colleagues. You see, Frederick concluded that labial hypertrophy was present when the maximal width between the midline and the lateral edge of the labium is greater than 5 centimeters. However, other colleagues have suggested that the normal width of the labia minora should be smaller than that, no more than 3 to 4 centimeters. However, the problem is, is that these very definitions of labial hypertrophy lack any proper scientific methodology and suggest a pathology with no clinical basis. Most adult women, here's the clinical pearl, have labia that protrude beyond the labia majora and previously stated abnormal labial widths have no validity in the scientific literature. So don't forget that everybody is different. And so even though they've published some measurements in the data of what is, quote, normal and abnormal, there's no scientific validity to any of that. 
Now, we have to clarify something because even though functional complaints may be hard to characterize or quantify, there's another real problem here. If an adolescent perceives that her appearance of the labia or the vulva is just not normal, it might cause emotional problems including embarrassment, anxiety, and loss of self-esteem. Zwire actually reported that the most common motivation for women to seek labioplasty wasn't a functional issue, but it was emotional discomfort. And because emotional distress is often transient, caution should be exercised when considering a permanent surgical procedure. Now, here's the clinical pearl. Overall, the motivations behind an adolescent seeking labioplasty have been varied in the literature. But Veal et al. reported that 70% of women who seek labioplasty cited aesthetic reasons as the motivation. However, 62% cited functional reasons. Now, Michaela et al. surveyed 16 adolescent girls who presented with labial concerns and reported that some of their sources of information on labial appearance included internet pictures in comparison with siblings or even their mother. So it's also been published that most women who seek labioplasty have labial measurements that are within normal limits. That's why it's important to do a lot of education, counseling, and to set realistic expectations starting during adolescence. Now, because of the multiple sources for adolescents to receive their information, it's imperative that we as healthcare providers understand the motivations behind patients pursuing labioplasty and, once again, create standard guidelines to be able to educate patients on what is normal. And the short answer of what's normal is a lot. Now, we need to clarify something here, because even though there's a variety of reasons why an adolescent can seek surgical correction of her genitalia, remember that we have to take patients' concerns seriously. Now, remember, even though the ACOG says try to postpone this until the age of 18, we have to take their concerns at face value. Let's say there's a 14-year-old who says that she can't wear jeans because her labia are so protuberant that they become irritated, or that she can't wear a bathing suit and it's affecting, for example, her school sports. Even though that patient is 14, because she has such a quality of life impacting issue, then surgical correction may be warranted even though she's 14. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So the study that we're summarizing, again, is from the American Board of OBGYN's first quarter 2021 maintenance of certification list. And is from the Journal of Pediatric and Adolescent Gynecology from 2019. Knowing that adolescence is the key period of time when body image awareness is forming, these authors wanted to see what was actually, quote, normal in adolescents having some surgical procedure done by taking uniform measurements and then comparing it across groups. Female adolescent patients do often present to primary or secondary care providers with concerns about the appearance of their external genitalia. These patients might experience significant distress about their genital appearance and might request surgery to correct one of these perceived abnormalities. 
Now, of course, in recent years, the prevalence of labioplasty, as we've already discussed, has been increasing in women of all ages. Driving factors for this increased concern about genital appearance are not fully understood, but might stem from trends in tight-fitting clothing, genital grooming, and the appearance of pornography, of course, easily accessible on the Internet. Accurate descriptions of normal female adolescent genital anatomy are lacking in the current literature, so these authors took on that task to try to stratify some degree of, quote, normal, end quote. This study was conducted prospectively at a single institution and was approved by the IRB before patient recruitment. The study was conducted over a 34-month period. Study personnel approached patients between the ages of 10 to 18 who presented for routine gynecological, general surgery, urological, or orthopedic surgery, or even gastroenterology procedures. Exclusion criteria included previous or currently scheduled genital surgery, a history of anorectal or genital abnormality, current urethral catheterization, prepubertal patients, meaning Tanner stages 1 and 2, and any endocrine disorder with effects on the genitalia. Tanner staging was assessed intraoperatively from a genital perspective only. All parents gave informed consent and all adolescents gave separate consent at a different time. The patients were examined after induction of anesthesia, either in a frog leg position or in stirrups. The examination and measurements were conducted by a small team to reduce intra-observer variability. This included two pediatric urology fellows and two adolescent gynecology attendings. 44 patients were studied, and no patients in the study needed to be excluded for tanner stage less than 3 during the exam. The median age was 14 years. Right and left labial lengths were different in about 43% of those adolescents studied. Right and left labia minora widths also differed in stretched and unstretched labia. While there was a difference in width between unstretched right and left labium, this exceeded 5 millimeters in 14% with an overall range of 1 to 13 millimeters difference. And when there was a difference in width of stretched right and left labium, this exceeded 5 millimeters in up to 55% of cases. Also, labia minora color was varied, with 75% having variations in color noted between the base of the minorum and the tip, and also between the left and right labium. Labia minora texture was described as keratinized, as opposed to having a smooth mucous membrane texture in about 70% of patients. All right, so as we wrap this up, the results of the study showed that there's wide variability in labial size, color, and texture, and it's independent of chronological age, tanner staging, race, or even exogenous estrogen exposure. The American College of OBGYN's Committee on Adolescent Healthcare Opinion Statement states that the first step in management of patients who seek labioplasty should include education and reassurance. Part of the educational process involves reassuring patients on what is normal anatomy. In this study, the authors sought to help providers establish guidelines for what's normal, and we found that normal is actually pretty broad. There's a lot of variation in color, size, and texture of the labia minora. Patients should then be offered reassurance and non-surgical options when appropriate. Now, here's a clinical pearl. They should be screened for body dysmorphic disorder, 
Finally, only when patients show true functional impairment and have completed pubertal development and they have emotional maturity to make autonomous decisions that are free from peer or family pressures should surgical correction be offered. And like in the case vignette that we offered earlier, it may be at age 14 if the appropriate functional limitations have been verified, confirmed, and the patient states that it's a source of distress for her. In short, wide variability exists in female adolescent general anatomy with no established normal ranges. And so the authors propose that the role of labioplasty in adolescence should be considered with extreme caution because of the wide range in size and morphology of labia and the paucity of data on surgical correction in adolescence. As stated by the ACOG, surgical correction in girls younger than 18 years should be considered only in those with significant congenital malformations or persistent symptoms that the physician does believe are caused directly by labial anatomy, or both. Well, this brings us to a wrap. We have covered one of the ABOG maintenance of certification articles dealing with, well, what's normal in female genitalia, especially in adolescent care. Thanks for being part of our podcast family, and we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.